everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I grew up in South Florida and learned to boat on the Intracoastal. Um, we were allowed to take the boat out by ourselves starting at age 14. And so I'm very familiar with the waterways down there and some of the inlets. Um, so a few years ago, when we were down visiting my sister at spring break, and she suggested that we rent a boat and go out and do some boating for the day, I was all for that. That sounded like a great time. So we rented a 32-foot cabin cruiser, and um, we set out with our family aboard, her family, my family, my other sister. We were all on the boat, and uh, off we go to kind of explore a little bit. So first thing in the morning, um, everybody's still a little sleepy-eyed, and so I thought, well, well, let's go out and see what the ocean looks like this morning. So we went out through Port Everglades, and it was so calm. It was like being on a lake out there. There were just like no waves whatsoever. And I tried to convince everyone like, hey, let's go swimming. And nobody wanted to get in the water. So I was like, okay, fine. So we're talking about what we should do with our day. We decided, you know, let's go, uh, let's motor down the Intracoastal to Biscayne Bay and we'll have lunch in Miami and then we'll come back after that. So we did that, motored down to Biscayne Bay, had lunch in Miami. And uh, now we're heading back and we're coming through Biscayne Bay and I'm realizing um, with the speed limits along the way in the inch coastal, there is no way we're going to have this boat back by the time we need to have it back. So we need to figure out a way to go into like turbo mode. And um, so I thought, well, no problem. We'll just go out through this next inlet and we'll get out to the ocean and then I can go full throttle and we'll zip along, come back in through Port Everglades. And uh, so we decided to go out through an inlet that I'd never gone out before, never really heard much about it because we did most of our boating further north. Um, but some of y'all maybe have heard of Hallover Inlet. Maybe some of you have, uh, have Googled or watched YouTube videos of Hallover Inlet. In fact, you have family coming to visit. And if you just really want to entertain your family, um, bring YouTube up on the TV and just type in Hallover Inlet. And uh, you will discover that Hallover Inlet has a reputation for being one of the most dangerous inlets um, really in the world. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you could actually make a living as a YouTuber with a camera on a tripod just videotaping boats that came in and out of Hallover Inlet. The really fun boats are the ones that have never been through Hallover Inlet before. The really fun boats are the ones that have like their family all piled up on the bow. And, uh, you know, you've got like kids with no life jackets that are just laying across the foredeck, you know, they have no idea what's waiting for them. It turns out that um, there's a certain times of the day that Hallover Inlet is not a problem at all. And there are other times of the day when Hallover Inlet can really catch you by surprise. And that is when the tide is going out and the wind is coming in. And it creates this like really fascinating effect where the ocean itself can be rather calm, but you can have like six foot waves at Hallover. We didn't know any of this. So we're motoring out and um, I'm noticing as I'm looking ahead, like this is kind of weird because we were just out in the ocean a few, years, uh, a few hours ago and it was perfectly calm. And now it is, it is not. I'm seeing like pretty big waves. And I'm realizing, uh, okay, um, not really sure exactly to do here, but I start to try to formulate a plan in my mind. 
And if you are a boat captain, I know there's a few of us in the room that, uh, that fancy ourselves to be somewhat adept at motoring a boat around, um, you know that you often become aware of problems significantly sooner than your passengers. But your passengers don't know this. Your passengers believe that they are the canary in the coal mine. They believe that they are the early warning system on your boat. And so when they become aware of a problem, they do what any calm, rational person would do. They begin to scream, right? As a, you know, because that's an early warning system. So, uh, we're, so the first uh, problem that we become aware of, you know, the, the waves are coming over the bow. A 32-foot boat is not a small boat. And when you're getting not just spray in the cockpit, but like full on wet, like head to shoulders drenched from the spray coming over the bow, you know that you're in like, you're in a little bit of trouble. And so um, the best thing to do is you got to keep power on the throttle. You cannot let your bow go down. But of course, all your passengers think that the problem is you're going too fast. So they begin to scream, slow down, right? And you don't listen to them, and so they feel like it's a problem of volume. Have you ever seen the American tourists that are overseas, and they feel like the language barrier is really a problem with volume? And so, so all of this is kind of beginning to crescendo, and meanwhile, I'm realizing, like, I don't want to keep going forward, but at the same time, um, this particular boat was already a little bit top-heavy, and I knew that if I went broadside to the waves at the wrong moment, it could be disastrous. And so I'm waiting to time it, I've got to have just the right amount of space between waves so that I can get this boat powered around and head back in towards safer waters. We survived. We lived. My family's all still alive. Although they feel like um, the whole thing was my fault. So weird. Why? (laughs) Where that comes from, I don't know. But fast forward, about a year later, we were on vacation together. All the same people. All the same people, we're on vacation together and we're in Alaska. And we were in Homer, Alaska, and we had some friends there who wanted to take us hiking to a glacier. It's this awesome thing in a state park. But to get there, we had to um, run a boat. This one was captained and motor across, uh, I don't know if it's called the Kenai Bay, but there's a pretty big bay there at the end of the Kenai Peninsula. You go across to the state park. I mean, it's miles across. And um, we went over to this state park and we went over in the morning. Water was calm. Everything was fine. You got to remember, this is Alaska. So the water's like 33 degrees, right? And we hiked. It was awesome. We come back. We're waiting for the boat. The captain comes back to pick us up. He's got this uh, aluminum hull boat that he just brings right up on the beach. And I knew that we were uh, in for an interesting ride when he had to make several attempts to just bring the boat straight onto the beach because the waves were so big behind him that they kept pushing the stern around and he was ended up getting broadside to the beach and he'd have to back off and try again. And so we actually had to make two or three attempts just to get everybody on the bow. Like we'd get like three people on and then he'd have to back off and try again. And as we're getting on, I'm thinking, now I'm not the captain. And I'm thinking, I'm a little, little uncomfortable with this situation. I'm a little nervous about this because I'm realizing pretty quickly that if he loses power for any number of reasons, but he's just got that one outboard engine. If he loses power for any reason, like we're gonna go sideways to these waves and we're gonna be in a world of hurt. I look around at my early warning system family, no concern, none whatsoever. 
So I have a video, actually. I didn't want to take your time to make you watch it today. But if you come over to my house, I've got lots of home movies to show you. I took a video of panning around and my whole family, they're sitting on this boat and they're like looking at, the, you know, they're showing each other pictures they took that day on their phone. They're having these little conversations and stuff. And then I, on the video, I pan like the outside of the boat and the boat is like, whoom, whoom on these waves. And again, I'm thinking this water is 33, 34 degrees. Like if we go in, we're dead. You know, all over inlet, you can swim to the shore and the water's 75 degrees, but no one's concerned at all. And I realized that there is an, a tremendous difference in who is captain of the boat, right? If your brother is captain of the boat, well, then you're in serious trouble. But if it's some stranger who you've never met, who could have, I don't know, just learned, gotten his boating captain's license yesterday, but you don't know that. You just assume he is competent, he's gonna get us to safety. And so you're completely calm and relaxed. Okay, so the moral of that story and the moral of that comparison, besides begging for your sympathy for me and what I have to deal with my family to give any respect among them, is that um, the captain makes all the difference in how we feel about the journey that we are on. And many of us, um, we are in perilous waters at different times in our lives, and we feel the stress and we feel the anxiety. You might be in a season like that right now, where you're feeling some stress, you're feeling some anxiety, you feel like you are in troubled waters, and your concern and your anxiety is, is well-placed, honestly, because you could be in a precarious situation. But with the right captain at the helm, all of your stress and all of your anxiety can be resolved because you can know I might be in perilous waters, but someone is in charge who is bigger and better than the situation around me. And this illustration is what we hope for when we ask you to consider following Jesus with your life. Because many of us have discovered that by placing our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus and allowing him to be the captain of our lives, then we find that it doesn't matter the situation or the perilous waters. We have a captain that we know is skilled. We have a captain who we know is good and great and able to handle whatever life throws our way. And I bring this up because we're in a series right now where we're talking about what it looks like for Jesus to be king of our lives. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, that Jesus didn't just come to be our Savior. I know that's kind of a weird sentence to say, that he didn't just come to be our Savior, because Savior's a big deal. But when we think of Jesus our Savior, sometimes we think of this like momentary one-time decision where I pray a prayer and I ask Jesus to be my Savior, and then I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, and so then I can just continue to live and captain my own boat. But the reality is that Jesus didn't just come to be our savior. In fact, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, Jesus came to be our king. And so the question that you and I have to ask as we're exploring this over these few weeks is not just is Jesus king, but is he my king? Have I allowed Jesus to not just be my savior, a one-time prayer and I'm good and I'm going to heaven? But in a day in and day out basis, when I am surrounded by turbulent waters, am I willing to allow Jesus to be my king? And today I wanna to take that a step further. I wanna ask the question, should he be my king? Should he be your king? Is Jesus worthy of being our king? 
So this is the series that we're in. It's called The Day After Christmas. And we're calling it The Day After Christmas because the day after that very first Christmas, the world would never be the same again. The world was changed forever. And not everybody recognized it in that moment or on that day, but the world had changed and the world would never be the same. And so if you're here today and you're someone who's just considering Jesus, if you're here today because someone invited you, you're here today because you're investigating Jesus, I'm so glad that you would look into the person of Jesus because the conversation around Jesus is the conversation of life. Every other conversation about is there a God and is there a higher power and how did we get here and was it a big bang or was it creation or was it both? Like they really all start with asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because if we look into the historicity of the life and the events of Jesus, then that begins to answer so many of the related questions in life. And so we want to explore today, um, who is Jesus and, and is he worth being my king? Now, we talked about the last couple of weeks that there was a census in those days. And the census was designed to increase the tax base, but the census also meant that you had to travel back to the city where you were born. And so this first Christmas, there's all this chaos and everybody travels back to where they're born. Joseph takes Mary to whom he is betrothed. And uh, so many, many miles on donkey back, that could not have been fun. I can only imagine um, how Joseph and Mary were probably just a little bit short of patience by the time they finally arrived in Bethlehem, only to find that there was no room for them to stay in an inn or in people's homes. And so they find themselves... Um, giving birth to Jesus in a stable and placing him in a manger. So this is where we arrive in the story today. Jesus as a baby in a manger, and now it is time for the birth announcement. I don't know if you guys remember when you sent out your birth announcement. Um, what a great moment that was, right? To be able to announce to the world that a baby had been born, that a child had been born to your home, to your, you know, maybe nieces or nephews, but this idea that you could celebrate a brand new life. And imagine if you're God and you get to plan a birth announcement for your son. It might look something like this. Luke records this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. This is nearby Bethlehem. And they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, there's a little bit of tradition around these shepherds. Uh, one tradition says that these shepherds might have actually been keeping the sheep for the temple. Jerusalem is only six miles away. And it's possible that these shepherds were tending sheep that would be used as sacrificial lambs at the temple. And so there's some symbolic nature to that, right? We're not sure about that. Um, the, we know that about 200 AD, that that was true. About 200 years after the birth of Christ, that Bethlehem and these fields would have been where the temple sheep uh, would have been. But we don't really, like, we don't have great scholarly data on that going all the way back to the time of Jesus. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice tradition. It may be true. I think it's got a lot of symbolic nature to it, but we're not 100% sure of that. But what we do know, or what we are pretty certain about, is that this would have been the very same region where David would have been a shepherd as a boy. Where David, who, who the city of Bethlehem was called the city of David, uh, he would have been in the, in the field 
and he would have been tending flocks as a boy. And when David was about 16 years old, his brothers came and they called him out of the field and they called him because there was a special person who had visited their home, the prophet Samuel, and Samuel was there to anoint David king. And so in one day, David had gone from a shepherd in the fields to being anointed king over Israel. So just a little bit of the background of these fields where the shepherds are watching over the sheep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. Can you imagine in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, this is before Edison's invented the light bulb. There's no artificial light. There's just all of a sudden, boom, a heavenly host that appears in the sky. And, and the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news today. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, when, when an angel shows up, when a mighty warrior who shows up on behalf of the everlasting God shows up, it could mean all kinds of news, right? It could mean like, this is a really bad announcement, but this is good news. This is not a God who comes and shows himself because he's angry or he's frustrated or he's at the end of his temper with you. This is a God who shows up full of love and grace and mercy and says, I have good news for you. And frankly, for many of us, depending on how we grew up and kind of how we absorbed religion in our lives and how we absorbed uh, morality in our lives, sometimes we struggle with this piece right here. Sometimes we struggle with whether or not we really believe that the message of Jesus is good news. And so the question I have for you this morning is, do you believe that the story of Jesus is good news? Do you really believe it's good news? Maybe when you're uh, with a friend and they are, they've got some pain in their life, they've got some unfortunate circumstances in their life, and you're thinking, you know what? Jesus could really help them. If they would trust Jesus with their life, if they, would, if they would give their life to God, it could make an incredible difference in their life. But something in you holds back. And something in you is a little uncertain if you should invite your friend to church or if you should share your faith with them. And, and that really stems from wondering or doubting whether this is good news. Like, I don't know. They're gonna, they're gonna feel like it's a lot of rules or I'm trying to share religion with them. Listen, the story of Jesus is not about religion. Religion is all about us trying to earn our way to God. Every single religion has the same basic principles. Be good, think good, do good, feel good, get closer and closer to being God yourself, get closer and closer so you can earn your way to God. And the story of Jesus is the exact opposite. It's unique among all the world religions because it's the only one where God doesn't wait for us to earn our way up to him, but he comes down to us. The story of Jesus is such good news. The story of Jesus is, is good news when we recognize that we are mired in a pit and that God has lifted us up out of it, that we have an incredible debt that we cannot repay ourselves. If you've ever felt that feeling of just feeling like, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this hole, it is God himself bringing down a rescue rope and pulling us up out of the pit. 
and forgiving us of our debt. It's good news. So the angels, they are announcing good news. And they say this, they say, today, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is interesting because this is the only verse in the New Testament where we have Savior, Messiah, and Lord all together in one verse. That we have the entirety of who Jesus is, that he is our Savior, that he has come to save us from our sin. He is not just a life coach because we are mistakers and we need a little bit of tweaking and how we navigate life. No, he is our Savior because we are sinners who need to be rescued. He is the Messiah Messiah, the one who has been prophesied. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the ruler. This will be a sign that you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And you think about this. You think about God becoming one of us, that God would transcend this divide of the universe, that he would come and that he would be present and that he would be with us, Emmanuel. Shannon talked about that a few moments ago and what we were singing, that God would be with us, that God would come to be one of us. Paul writes about this in Philippians. In Philippians chapter two, he has this incredible passage where he talks about Jesus and he says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as King Jesus. Have the same mindset as King Jesus, who, being in very nature God, he was equal to, he was the essence of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or the NIV used to say grasped, and the ESV still says grasped. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, or used to his own advantage. But the fact that he sat on the throne in heaven was not something to be leveraged for his own advantage, but he was willing to surrender it for you. This is the good news that he gave up everything for you and for me. Paul goes on, he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God became a baby. God came near to you. God came to experience life on this earth to show you the way back to God. I've said before that many of us at different times in our lives, we feel very far from God, but the reality is we are never far from God because God is right on our heels and he is inviting us. He is a king who doesn't force himself on us. He is a king who doesn't make us obey him. He is a king who comes and invites us into relationship with him. In fact, the humility with which Jesus entered the world, the humility with which he entered the world foreshadowed his heart for the world. You see, when we ask this question today, should he be my king? Part of the answer is, don't you want a king who comes and doesn't demand that his subjects lay down their lives for him? But a king who comes willing to lay down his life for his subjects. A king who would introduce a kingdom that would be completely opposite of every earthly kingdom that had ever existed. Instead of an earthly kingdom where everyone exists for the benefit of the king, this would be an upside down kingdom where the king 
comes for the benefit of his subjects, where the king comes for the benefit of the world. And we understand who Jesus is, and we understand the kind of God that Jesus points a path to by understanding that he has come to lay down his life for us. And so when the, when the shepherds hear this, when they hear today, when they hear today in the city of Bethlehem, today in the town of David, they know that today means that the time has finally come. The time has finally come. Have you ever had um, a birth announcement that arrives from someone and you're like, I did not even know they were pregnant, right? Or, you know, in your mind, ladies, please forgive us for this, but, you know, this happens all the time with men. Maybe some ladies make a mistake too, but, you know, you did know they were pregnant, but in your mind, like, they just got pregnant. Like, how did nine months go by so quickly, right? And all the ladies are like, it did not go by very quickly. All right, but you get that birth announcement and you're a little bit surprised. Well, part of what we need to understand that the background of these shepherds is that this birth announcement was not entirely unexpected. The timing was sudden. The timing was immediate. The timing might've been unexpected, but there had been some ground laid for, for this incredible, incredible birth announcement. Because when, when Luke records that the angel said this, they said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and that he is the Messiah, the Lord, that this will be a sign to you that you'll find the baby wrapped and lying in a manger. This hearkened back to what they knew, what they had heard growing up as boys who were going to synagogue and who were learning the Jewish scriptures from the time they were very, very young. And one of the favorite Scriptures that they would have learned at synagogue would have been the, the, the prophecies from Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet that had lived about 700 years before Jesus. And during that time, the Assyrian Empire was oppressing Israel and Israel had felt down and felt defeated. And through Isaiah, God made promises to the nation of Israel. Through Isaiah, God said to the nation of Israel, there's good news coming. There's good news coming. In fact, in Isaiah chapter nine, 700 years before Jesus was born, we see this written. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will rule. He will come not just as a religious figure, not just a teacher on a hillside, but he will come as king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These incredible titles for Jesus. Let's just spend a minute thinking about these. That he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's start with that first one. Wonderful Counselor. That, that your heavenly father knows that you need a counselor, that you need a guide in life. You need someone who will come alongside you and be with you in the moments when you're confused and when you don't know which way is the right way to go and you don't know what is the right thing to do. If you have a counselor in your life, which by the way, I think it's a really healthy practice to have a counselor in your life that you see on a regular basis, I do. 
wise people in my life have counselors that they go to on a regular basis. And we do that for a couple of reasons. One, I have some fantastic friends that I can talk about anything with. Like the kind of men that you just, oh, just great friendships. And I can talk about anything with them, but they're not experts on human behavior. They are not experts on human behavior and they haven't studied this. And so I need to talk to someone who is wise and gives me wise counsel based on their expertise with human behavior. Also, I need someone who's objective. I need someone who can kind of sit a little bit removed from the situation and, and someone who can look at the situation. They're not part of the family and they're not part of the situation, but they know the situation and they can advise me on that. We need a wise counselor. And Jesus can be our wonderful counselor. In fact, Jesus said that uh, he was the way to God, that he would be our guide. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not I know the way, I am the way, the truth and the life. That the only way to God is through God. The way to God is not through a prophet or a teacher. The way to God is through God. And so Jesus came to be the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, except through me. And I know that sounds exclusive. And I know that in our culture and our world today, we don't want Jesus to be exclusive. We'd like to think that it's not about what you believe, it's about how sincerely you believe it. But Jesus comes and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not a man who's showing you the way to God. I am God who has come to you to bring you home. I stand alone as God who can show you the way to God. Which brings us to this next one. He's wonderful counselor and he's also mighty God. That Jesus would be God. Every once in a while, I'll have a dialogue with someone and they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, actually on many occasions, Jesus was worshiped by his disciples. He was worshiped by his followers. He was bowed down before as God. Now, the disciples who were raised Jewish, they would have known what the consequences were for blasphemy. To bow before Jesus as God, if he were not God, would have been a capital punishment in the Jewish tradition. On the other hand, Jesus knew what the punishment would be for blasphemy. He knew what the punishment would be if he accepted the worship of others and did not correct them if he were not God. And yet on multiple occasions, when Jesus calms the storm, when Jesus appears to the disciples after he's raised from the dead, when his disciples worship and bow before him, he accepts their worship as God. He is mighty God. And I want God to be mighty. I want God to be big. I want God to be powerful. I've got problems that are big. I need a God who is bigger. And we all wrestle with this. We all struggle with the fact that sometimes we just want God to be a manageable size. Like we want God to be this, you know, we, we like the whole wonderful counselor thing. That's kind of nice. I'd like to have a wonderful counselor. I kind of take with me, maybe like a good luck charm or, or just, you know, an app 
would be good. If there was like a little God app and I could pull God out when I needed him and I could tap on him and I could be like, oh, okay, little wisdom for the day. Thank you for God. Now I'm gonna put you back in my pocket, right? And I'm gonna continue to go on. But God, God sent Jesus and Jesus shows up as wonderful counselor and mighty God. And I want my God to be big. Sometimes I chafe against that, but I need God to be bigger than my problems. I need him to be bigger than my life. I need him to be bigger than my will. I need him to be a mighty God. And then Isaiah calls him everlasting father. Everlasting father, that he is full of unconditional love. That in a way that, that, that a father can do, he can see you and he can know you. He can know you better than you know yourselves. How many of you as parents think that you actually know your kids better than they know themselves? I do. You see them and you think, you know, you're, you're a little hangry right now. I'm not hangry. This is an actual crisis. Or you're hangry, right? Could be, could be both, you know? Everlasting Father who knows you better than you know yourself and loves you more than you have ever been loved. And then finally, Prince of Peace, a royal title. Prince of Peace, who's come to reconcile broken relationships who's come to bring healing and to draw people back together. The very, the very essence of who God is and what he's about and, and his passion for the world is to come into a world that has had our relationship with him broken by sin and to heal that relationship and to put that relationship back together, to be the prince of peace in your life and in mine. So the angels announced, that today, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. But the creator of the universe would lie in a manger. That he would come, that he would move into the mess of our world. And what messier place to enter into this world than in a stable? And then he comes to be a baby in a manger. The king of kings. The king of kings has made himself available and accessible and approachable. The king of kings has made himself available and accessible and approachable. He is not a far off unknown mystery. He's come to put flesh on, to be one of us, to, to demonstrate the way to God. Of course, we particularly love this word in the middle here because we decided to call this church Access Church because we believe that access to God should be available to everyone. That church shouldn't just be for church people, but church should be for everyone. And so if you've seen our logo with the ladder, we do that because we want to be a church that has all the rungs in the ladder. I don't know if you've ever walked into a church and you've thought, well, 
there's some really smart people around here. They seem to really know the Bible well. And there's some really godly people around here. They seem to behave really, really well. And I think maybe I might like to be like that someday, but I don't know how to get there. Because you've walked into a church that the ladder has no bottom rungs. Everyone's at the top, but they've forgotten what it feels like to be at the bottom, to be starting out in a relationship with God. And we said, we want to be a church that has all the rungs in the ladder. We want to be a church that makes it possible for anyone to follow Jesus. We want to be a church that inspires everyone to follow Jesus, regardless of their background or the biography, where they come from. We want to help them with where they're going toward Jesus. And so the King of Kings has made himself available and accessible and approachable to you and to me. He's come personally, not not as a system of religion, but he's come personally to invite you to allow him to be your king, to sit on the throne of your life. His best friend, John, said it like this. After Jesus had been crucified, after he rose from the dead, after he went back to heaven, John, years later, he sat down and when he was trying to describe who Jesus was in his life, he said this. He said, the word became flesh. The word, the everlasting word, the eternal being of God, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth, not half truth and half grace, but full of grace and full of truth. I can't pull that off. You can't pull that off. But Jesus pulled that off because he was both fully God and fully man, which is, if that's mysterious to you, congratulations. Every theologian agrees with you. It is mystifying, but it is the essence of who Jesus was, that he was fully God and fully man. And he alone is the one who can join these two universes. He alone is the one who can say that you can be part of a kingdom, which is not like any other kingdom that has ever existed, but a kingdom that's an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where he would tell his followers that people will know that you are my followers by your love. A kingdom where he said that my greatest commandment is that you would love one another, not as other people have loved you, but as I have loved you. I, the one who laid down his life for you, as I have loved you, that's how you should love one another in my kingdom. And so this kingdom of Jesus brings heaven and earth together. So Jesus, who was more of a king than any other king, came to interact with his people like no other king. And so the question today is, if you're going to allow Jesus to be the captain of your ship, if you're going to allow Jesus to be the one that's in charge of your life, If you're truly going to invite him to be your king, do you believe that he can be like no other king? That Jesus is different. You see, one thing we say around here all the time is that 
Believing in Jesus, placing your trust in Jesus will cost you nothing. It's absolutely free. Paul says that to, to be a follower of Jesus or, to, or to, to, to be someone who is welcomed into the family of God requires only that we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. It's, it's that. It is belief. It is surrendering our belief. Becoming a believer in Jesus will cost you nothing. But following Jesus, following Jesus may cost you everything. Following Jesus means that every day I wake up and I make the decision to allow him to be king of my life because he deserves it, because he is like no other king. John went on to write this. He said, out of his fullness, he's talking about Jesus, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Now, I'll be honest, this is a little bit of a tricky one to translate from Greek. There's not a good direct way to translate this, but it's something along the lines of trying to say that it's like grace piled on top of grace. Like just when you think you've had enough, you know, just more grace on top of that. Stephanie made this amazing apple crisp for dessert the other night. And, you know, it is a tricky balance when you have cobbler or apple crisp um, because you guys feel my, my, my struggle with this. The ratio between the apple crisp and the ice cream, it has to be just right, right? And if, you, if you're a little short on the ice cream, what do you have to do? Got to go back. More ice cream, right? You got to make sure. Oh, but then, unfortunately, too much ice cream which can only be rectified by a little more apple crisp, right? The holidays, so wonderful. But imagine this is like the grace of God. It's like, oh, just when you're like, you know, you're over at someone's home and they're serving up dessert and you say, oh, that's, that's enough, that's enough right there. And oh, no, 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 one more scoop. And they just put that on there. That is the grace that God offers you. It's like one more scoop. No, God, I've got enough. I've got enough grace. No, no, no. Let me give you grace upon grace. I know you've got enough grace to cover our broken relationship, but I want to give you more grace. I want to invite you into a relationship that's not based on rules. It's based on grace. It's based on my love for you, that the one who created you, the one who made you, the one who knows you better than you've ever been known, loves you more than you've ever been loved. This is the kingdom into which he invites us. John says, for the law was given through Moses. The law, the rules, the 613 laws that that the Jewish people had to keep. The law was given through Moses, but through Jesus, grace and truth. Grace and truth. I want to go back to that passage in Philippians chapter two, because it's one of my favorites and where, where a moment ago, Paul was talking about how Jesus humbled himself. He considered equality with God, not something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he became obedient even to death on a cross. And this is how Paul continues that passage. He says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Your creator humbled himself for you and for me. Therefore, 
This is the awesome part. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow to King Jesus someday. The question is, will you bow today? Will you bow in this lifetime? Or will you bow later when it's too late? No one will be forced to bow, but someday in eternity, we will all see Jesus for who he is and we will all fall to our knees. No matter how skeptical we were during our life on earth, no matter how rebellious we were during our life on earth, no matter how much we turned our back on him and would not allow him to be king during our life on earth, there is a day when we will all bow and we will all recognize that he is king. We will see him for who he truly is. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is king to the glory of God the Father. So here's what we're left with this morning as we wrap up this series. Jesus has invited you to be king. He does not give you the option that he would be a helpful teacher, a philosopher on a hillside. He gives you the option for him to be king. In fact, we only have three options. This is first posed by C.S. Lewis that I'm aware of, and many, many, many have talked about it since, and I've never heard anyone disprove this. These are the three options that we have when considering with Jesus who he is. He is either liar or lunatic, or he is king. Jesus could have lied. It could have been the biggest scam of all time. Could have been a giant hoax. That is an option. As you read through the stories of the life of Jesus and those who came after him and those who had their lives changed by him. Liar, that's an option. Lunatic, that's another valid option. Could be that Jesus meant well, but he was extremely disturbed. Could have been that he was a lunatic. Or it could be that he was exactly who he said he was, exactly who his followers believed that he was, exactly who his little brother James came to believe that he was after his resurrection. It could be that he was king. But there's one claim that Jesus never made, and it is not one of the options available to us. Jesus is not a moral teacher. That's not one of the options. You can't say, oh, I think Jesus was a great moral teacher, a great philosopher, a great life coach. That's not an option. Because if you read what Jesus said and you read what his followers believed about him and you read the way that his followers bowed and worshiped him as God, Jesus could not have been a moral teacher. What kind of moral teacher allows people to believe that he is God when he's not? 
So today, you have to choose liar, lunatic, king. Moral teacher's off the table. He is a good king. And I invite you today to put your hope and your faith in Jesus, to transfer your trust from you and your goodness to Jesus and to all that he's done for you. Don't be the captain of your own ship. Allow Jesus to be the one who leads you through life, who is a mighty counselor full of wisdom, who is a prince of peace who's here to reconcile you, who is a mighty God become flesh to rescue you and I because it took God to lead us back to God. Jesus is a good king and it is good news because Jesus is a good king. It's good news because he is a good king who invites us home. God, thank you so much for the miracle of Jesus born among us. And as we celebrate this season, we just ask that this would not be lost on us in any way. And that we would not just give you mental nod and say, yes, I believe. But we would put one foot in front of the other and actually follow you. That we would allow you to be the ruler of our lives in every decision, every step that we take, that you would be king. Today, God, we wanna give you our lives. We wanna surrender our lives to you. Maybe, maybe if we're in this room today and we made this decision a long time ago, maybe today we need to come back to you and we need to say, my whole life, God, not just some of my life, not just parts of my life, not just most of my life, my whole life, God, I wanna give you my whole life. I wanna surrender my whole life. I want it to come under your dominion and I want you to be king in my life because there's only room for one king. We must choose. God, help us today to choose you.